The city of St. Louis is one of numerous local jurisdictions throughout Missouri that have implemented stay-at-home orders in response to coronavirus. That's placed restrictions on which businesses can remain open and the size of gatherings. But have these measures gone far enough? On the latest episode of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Alderwoman Heather Navarro joined St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman and I to talk about coronavirus's effect on St. Louis. This interview was conducted using the video conferencing program Zoom. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to this episode of Politically Speaking. I'm your host today, Rachel Littman, and joining us from the Richmond Heights Bureau of St. Louis Public Radio, it's Jason Rosenbaum, and I'm actually holding Declan Todd Rosenbaum right now, but I'm going to hand him off to uh, his mom as we continue this podcast. And joining us from uh, her home in Skinker de Bolivar. This is Alderwoman Heather Navarro. And as you uh, might have guessed, we are doing this podcast social distancing style. So all of us are at home and on uh, Zoom. So if you happen to hear sounds like... Uh, kids, dogs, traffic, etc., that you wouldn't ordinarily hear on the podcast. That is why. So uh, Alderwoman Navarro, you are in the 28th Ward, and I think this is your second time on the show. In the years that you, uh, since you were first elected, what have you kind of been working on? Well, so I've been here, yes, yeah, since July of 2017 and been working on a variety of things with my colleagues, everything from um, employment issues such as paid leave and banning the box to clean energy, um, helping the city reduce greenhouse gas emissions and create pathways to reduce um, energy usage in our, in our large buildings, and then also working on board reduction and how we prepare for that in the coming years. And we will get to all of those key issues probably in the second part of this podcast, but obviously what everyone is talking about right now and why, while, why we are doing this podcast on Zoom is coronavirus and the current pandemic. What's your take on how the city and the region have been coping with this that kind of, you know, has upended lives in the last two weeks? So I think our city and, and region is really grappling with this, like a lot of other cities and municipalities around the country. And it's a very fluid uh, situation. It's changing day by day. And, you know, really it, the lack of federal leadership from the very top is really forcing cities to fill in the gaps and just day by day adjust and adapt to new information, new situations. Um, you know, a new order will go out and then we have to, to figure out, okay, what does this mean for, you know, all sorts of different businesses? What does this mean for different individuals? Um, so it, it really is a very dynamic situation, I think, because we have technology. So video conferencing, teleconferencing, all of those things that's definitely helped the city in terms of getting the word out using social media, um, you know, and trying to stay in communication as much as, as possible. 
I think it would be wonderful if there was, you know, more leadership coming from the state and from the federal government um, that would assist cities so that everyone isn't grappling with this on their own, which is kind of how it feels right now. And where are the biggest gaps that the cities just aren't able to fill because of resources, their inherent powers, et cetera, where more state and federal you think could really make the difference here? Well, testing is the first one. I mean, when you look at how other countries and cities have managed this virus to manage the spread of this, it really comes down to they were able to get on top of it right away, start testing people, start figuring out um, you know, who they've been in contact with and quarantining people and coming up with very um, concrete directives about people's behavior. And when those have been implemented swiftly and comprehensively, that's when we've seen um, you know, the, 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 the biggest reduction in, in spread. I mean, that's what we know so far seems to be working effectively. And cities just have not had, won the information. Um, you know, we've got people traveling in and out of, of cities, out of airports, uh, and some of that information of people were flying in from one of the priority countries, counties and cities were being notified of that, but you've got people driving across borders. And so, you know, cities just don't have that information to be able to track. And then just the resources, you know, we've been reading how, you know, we got a handful of testing kits. Um, you know, the state got several hundred and the city got a few. And, you know, now we're seeing private labs fill in the gap, but that's weeks, months after we needed those resources. Can you so that's, that's the big one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jason. I'm sorry. Uh, can you explain why maybe you're dissatisfied with the fact that Missouri's approach to this has been again essentially decentralized and allowing like local entities to decide their own restrictions as opposed to like a restriction everywhere? I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I would like you to explain your own words why that's problematic. Well, you know, viruses don't respect municipal boundaries. And so um, you know, it's particularly problematic for St. Louis being on the, the boundary with, with Illinois. Um, but, you know, one city will put certain measures in place. And these are drastic measures. I mean, no city takes these measures lightly because of the economic impact it, it has. And so if one city goes down into kind of shutdown mode, um, and we saw this happen at various phases, you know, first it was, you know, no more than 250 people, then no more than 50 people, no more than 10, um, restricted to carry out only. Um, you know, just all of those things kind of were phased in at, at different times. And one that's just confusing for people, especially because people don't necessarily live and work and visit family all in the same municipal boundary. So that's, that's confusing. Um, and then from a public health standpoint, um, you know, you've got people, even one municipality might be trying really hard not to spread the virus within its own community, but you have no control over what's going on in the community next door. And, and again, that the virus is going to move back and forth as, as people move back and forth. So from a public health and economic standpoint, it is detrimental that every municipality is figuring this out on their own. One thing that I've heard actually from a number of people is that the city and county state home orders is actually, are actually not strong enough, that there's too many exceptions, and that those exceptions are going to cause the virus to spread, even though many places are shut down. One place in particular that I think is kind of a a, 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 a admittingly attractive loophole is parks. Your, your ward actually, I think, has all or most of Forest Park. Is that correct, first of all? Yes, all, yeah, all of Forest Park. And then we have two little pocket parks. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think of the decision to keep parks open in the city? And do you think that that may be the next 
thing to shut down as the virus gets worse. Well, I think we're we're trying to balance. Well, we're trying to balance a lot of things, but the two big things: one, yes, is limiting the spread of this virus, and the other the other piece of this is all of the effects and consequences of shutting everything down. And it's interesting, parks and playgrounds. I've had a lot of conversations of, around this. Um, because while we're shutting everything down, while we're requiring people to stay home, that is also fostering a whole other health crisis that, you know, there's this looming health crisis of people being stuck at home, being sheltered at home. And, you know, for some people who are in a privileged situation, you know, the first few, few days, it feels a little like, you know, summer camp or a snow day or something like that. But for a whole lot of people, um, there's a lot of mental illness that, you know, we're going to be fostering with this. There are people whose home lives were not all that safe to begin with, and now they are stuck in these situations. They don't have the outlets. They don't have the resources that they would normally have. And one thing that these parks and these open spaces provide is a free, I mean, even when there's not a virus, it's a free, safe place for people to go. Um, and so keeping those open, I can see that there, there is an emphasis on we've got to have some, some outlet because we recognize that telling everybody to stay home is not just a, you know, that, that's not the, the silver bullet in all of this. There's a whole bunch of other things that are happening at the same time. Um, you know, on the other side of that, you know, playgrounds, kids do not understand six feet, you know, <laughs> keeping a six foot distance. Like that's just not, that's not going to happen. Um, and you know, anybody with kids knows, I mean, if there's a kid on a slide, then there's, you know, there's all sorts of other things on that slide um, as, as well. And so we do know that these are, you know, great little Petri dishes if people are going to be be sharing, sharing germs. And right now we're going into spring. I mean, I'm looking outside and it's finally sunny outside. Um, and if you've been stuck at home with especially small children for days on end, um, and if you're in an apartment or a condo and you don't have a backyard, I mean, that playground is also a very vital resource. So, um, I mean, I've probably gone on too long about all of that, but it's trying to, trying to balance all of these needs. And I think right now for the city, what I've been told is that um, work, people who had been employed in some of these community centers that are no longer open are being employed to go out and wash down playground equipment so that we can try and keep those open as long as we can as a resource. I've seen in my own neighborhood, neighbors have put up cones and handmade signs telling people to stay off of the playground equipment to stay safe. So, um, you know, the, the directive in not shutting everything down, some people are kind of taking it on themselves to, to go the next step. Um, and as a city, like I said, just really trying to, to balance all, all of these different pieces in this time is very difficult. And I do think, you know, the restrictions are just going to get tighter and tighter and tighter, which is just going to take that energy and push it somewhere else. You know, we don't know what those consequences and effects are going to be yet. How have you been trying to communicate um, everything to, to your community, to your wards? This is stuff that changes at least weekly, if not daily, there's confusion about what is essential. There's a lot of questions about, you know, those details. Um, how has the city been doing it, messaging that to you guys? And then what's been your strategy and then kind of getting it out to your ward? So the city, um, so I, I'm getting pretty regular emails. Um, up, we get updates regularly from the mayor's office. Um, having regular conference calls so that we can ask questions of the of Dr. Eccles at the Department of Health um, and, and using social media as much as we can. I think it's really important that 
to the extent that we can, that we speak with one voice to limit the confusion. And so my strategy has been for the most part to share verbatim, especially those health orders that are coming from the mayor's office, um, any directives, information, um, I think just pushing those out so that if somebody goes to my website or they look at my social media and then they go to the city website or they go to, you know, um, another alderman's page, that they are hearing the same thing. Um, obviously, then we need to follow up with clarification. And I think what's been working pretty well, again, with text messaging and emailing and all of that, I've had plenty of constituents follow up with me and say, okay, I read this. What does this mean for my business? Or what does this mean for my particular situation with my with my family or my travel plans? What's been the biggest question that you've gotten about these stay-at-home orders? Because we've set up, obviously, our Curious Lewis portal, and we get a ton of questions in about, you know, well, can I do, if I have like six people who come to my hair salon and it's never 10 people, or can I move? Can I go visit relatives? What's been the biggest question you've gotten or the biggest area where people are like, I just don't know and I want to make sure I know? Yeah, it's usually from those small businesses. Um who, I mean, we've, in the Central West End, Skinker of Oliver, I mean, the High Point, we've got all sorts of businesses from bookstores, you know, movie theaters, um, a lot of people who stay at home or maybe they have a few people in the office. So that, that really is the number one question. Can I? And there's um, my pop. April. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hey. Um, yeah, and so as, as you can tell, we're doing this from a home, from home studios. <laughs> It's a, it's a pet friendly show. Yes, it is. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, small businesses, I think, are, are the big ones who are just trying to grapple with what they can do because they're trying to keep their employees paid. Um, you know, they're trying to keep their clients, trying to make sure they've got money coming in to, to pay the rent. So, you know, that's, that's really the big one. Um, and then what other resources are out there? I hear from a lot of people, you know, what, what sorts of funds are out there? What's you know, what, what can we do? What, what can we do around paid leave? Um, you know, those, those sorts of things. What do you think the impact on the city's financial bottom line is going to be? We heard from St. Louis County Executive Sam Page that the county is going to be taking a monumental hit with sales, property, and gambling taxes, especially because casinos are closed right now. Do you think that the city's financial impact from coronavirus could be even worse, or do you think it could weather it? I think, you know, it's something we definitely have to monitor. I, there's no doubt that this is going to be really hard on, on the city. Um, the city is not as dependent on sales tax as the county is. So, you know, things are going to play out a little bit differently there. And th there are certain businesses, you know, the grocery stores, um, they're obviously, um, I hate to say doing really well right now, but um, they have a lot of sales right now as people are going into the grocery stores, um, convenience stores, um, the, you know, the Walgreens, the CVSs of the world, um, you know, so there are some industries, some sectors, you know, that we know are going to see a little bit of a boost. Obviously, the restaurants and retail are going to be hit really hard. Um, and we, in the way that online sales tax works in our state, um, doesn't necessarily mean that those online sales are going to translate into revenue for the city. So we're definitely going to take a hit there. Um, the earnings tax, you know, it's about a third of our budget. And so, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Most of the most of the people who pay into that earnings tax, it's my understanding, don't live in the city. They're they're county residents who work in the city. Um, so we're going to have to see how that plays out as well. But you know, you look at 
you know, Cardinals games aren't happening, you look at all of the concerts and the events that aren't happening, what's being lost in terms of hotels, um, you know, all of those things, the city is definitely going to be taking a, a big hit. And we know we have a lot of people in the city that we that we need to take care of and that are dependent on, on city services. So um, we're going into the budget now. Um, when we come back into session, that's going to be the top of the priority list is getting a budget ready to go. And it's going to be um, it's going to be very difficult. I do not envy our budget director right now trying to uh, figure out what this is going to look like and where those cuts come from. And the budget process, too, um, even just trying to adjust for this current year spending plan is not particularly easy. They can't money just can't kind of be shifted around. There's no sort of emergency fund. You can't spend into a deficit to address the coronavirus issues. You've got to work within the framework of the current budget. Right, right. We are lucky our, our reserves are in a little bit better position than they have been recently. Um, but you know, the city hasn't seen the, the financial comeback that a lot of us would have liked to have seen since 2008. So, um, you know, we've been struggling to get back since then. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, again, I think the sales tax issue doesn't hit us as hard as it does, you know, some other municipalities, um, for sure. Are you guys even going to be able to go back? to finish out your current session and then start working on the budget. There's 28 of you, 29 with the president, plus staff, plus et cetera. That's well over the 10 person uh, limit for gatherings. Um, it, what's, what's the talk there trying to ensure that you guys can meet? So the two big questions are technologically, can we do it? And legally, can we do it? And what do we need to do to make sure that both of those work? And technologically, I, I'm. I'm sure we can figure it out. Um, we don't have public testimony like they do um, in St. Louis County Council meetings. Um, so we just have to make sure that our meetings are streaming live, which they already do, um, but we need to be able to patch everybody in. So, you know, if we can only have 10 people in the chambers who are all distanced apart um, and get everybody else patched in through video conferencing, um, we've got some time, we come back April 20th. So I'm, I'm confident technologically we can figure that out. Um, legally, I think we're also trying to figure out exactly what we need to do. Um, you know, this is not the this is not the first time the city of St. Louis has been through some sort of crisis. So I feel like there's got to be precedent for you know how have we handled this in the past. Um, it may mean that when we come back, we need to pass some emergency rules to make this possible. Um, so those those are the two big things we're looking into right now. And we'll be back with more with Alderwoman Heather Navarro after this quick break. And we are back on Politically Speaking with 28th Ward Alderwoman Heather Navarro. I'm Rachel Lippman. Also joining me is Jason Rosenbaum. And uh, Heather, there are obviously some other things going on um, on people's minds other than coronavirus. We were talking uh, earlier at the beginning of the podcast about some of the work you've been doing around redistricting and ward reduction. What's the status of efforts to try and reverse the uh, current plan or the current uh, situation, which is to go to 14 wards after the census in, uh, in 2022? So, you know, when we passed in 2012, that's when we decided um, the voters voted to reduce the wards from 20 to 14, and that's to take place after the next census, which is going on right now. And that, that vote changed the charter. So that's the law in the city of St. Louis is starting after this 2020 census, we go to, to 14 wards and that is what the city will have moving forward. There um, have been efforts to, to change that either through the board of aldermen. So through an ordinance that would put it on, back on the ballot 
and give voters the opportunity. So it wouldn't straight up reverse it. It would just say, we're gonna vote on it again. And there was a bill introduced um, this session and I believe there was one last session as well. Neither one of those have um, made it up for a final vote in the board. Um, and that's the case with this session, we, we come back for one more day. So I don't see that, that bill advancing you know, this session. The mayor has also said that she would veto it. So essentially that effort would require you know, two thirds in order to be able to override um, the mayor's veto. And that's 20 votes, if I'm remembering correctly. It's a 20, 29. Right, yeah. And then um, I believe there's a petition initiative out there too. So people could also do it by, by, by gathering um, signatures. I don't know exactly where that, where that effort is, but it's a board of aldermen. Right now we are moving forward. There've been a couple of attempts to convene um, kind of advisory committees in terms of you know, figuring out what does this look like? There are two really big questions. I mean, one is just the redistricting. How are we going to draw those lines? And the other piece is what needs to happen? What needs to change in at the Board of Aldermen um, in order to function with 14 instead of 28 wards? And that was something I've been very interested in over the last year. And it's as, as uh, 20, as the census comes closer, and the first, the first election will happen in 2023. And as that gets closer, the, there are a lot of questions we need to answer. What are some of the big ones for you? I know racial equity has been a concern for you. What are some of the other um, areas and questions that you have about what a new potentially 15 member board of aldermen with the president would look like? So you have to look at what is the function of aldermen right now. And a big piece of our job is delivering constituent services. And if that's going to continue to be the case when we've got 14, you know, for a lot of aldermen, um, and, and it's really it's really interesting because some wards are very dense. And so like the 28th ward, for example, if you take out Forest Park, it's very small geographically. Forest Park makes the ward very large. But then other wards, especially in North City, where there's been a lot of population decrease, the population spread out, that means many more miles of streets, that means many more miles of alleys that need to be taken care of. And the, the funding for a lot of those um, services and improvements come through the aldermen. And aldermen are constantly dealing with questions and, and complaints from city residents. I mean, oftentimes this is how we find out that lights are out or where there are potholes. It's aldermen receiving calls. Um, Citizen Service Bureau is set up to receive some of those as well, but a lot of that filters through the aldermen. So I think if we're going to um, make sure that aldermen can legislate, which is actually, you know, their number one job is to be a legislative body, um, we've got to figure out a way for those constituent services to be handled effectively, efficiently, and, and equitably. So that's, that's a really big one. Um, and then the, the other one is legislating. You know, if you want to have a body of legislators, what do you want them to have? You want them to have access to their constituents, data policy research, you know, what are the what are the best practices, what's the latest that we need to know on safety and security, on public health, energy, environment. Um, and right now we don't have staff. And so when we reduce, if we want aldermen to be effective at legislating and at dealing with constituent services, you know, we know the current system isn't working. And so we need to make some changes. How do you get through this ward reduction without substantially diluting or reducing the power of African-American officials? Because I think that that's what's behind trying to reverse it. I think a lot of your African-American colleagues believe that when it goes to 15, there may only be like three or four or five black aldermen in a city that is 50-50. How do you avoid that outcome? 
Well, I think the redistricting process is going to be really important. And that's why, you know, there have been some attempts at, you know, you look at like what's going on with Clean Missouri statewide, you know, looking at getting an independent demographer. Um, we've got to we've got to draw these lines, first of all, in a way that's equitable. The other thing, though, that we're seeing is that we have we have African-American majority wards that have a white um, have elected a white alderman. Yeah, like um, the 6th Ward and the 20th Ward and the 9th Ward, for example. Yep. And then you also look at, I mean, St. Louis County elected an African-American, I mean, elected Wesley Bell this year, um, so, or last year. Um, so, you know, I don't know that we can just straight up say that, you know, we've, this is how we're going to guarantee a certain number of, of aldermen of color. Um, so I, and I, I think that that really speaks to the disparity in the city as a whole. I mean, even if, even if the aldermen is, are is split 50, 50, um, which we have to consider that there's also Hispanic residents and um, you know, Asian Americans, there's all sorts of, you know, it's more than just black and white in the city. Is there an awareness that maybe the focus needs to shift from attempting to reverse ward reduction and to what ward reduction may end up looking like? Or is there still sort of this idea that we're gonna stay at 28 and that's where the energy needs to be right now? You know, I'm not involved in that campaign, so I don't know too much about where they are. Um, I do think that more and more aldermen are, like I said, as we get closer and closer to this deadline, are interested in thinking about, okay, how's this going to work? Is this going to be a full-time job? What kind of staff are we going to have? Um, you know, what, what kind of budget is that going to require? Um, you know, so I do see kind of a transition in terms of the kinds of questions that are being, down, being asked down at, at City Hall. In the time we have left, Heather, I know um, you've been focusing a lot on green energy and, and boosting where the city is in terms of that. What are some of the highlights? I know that recently the city got an award for kind of the way it shifted and thought about green energy. Um, what's been behind that? So the city, St. Louis City is really on the forefront when it comes to climate resiliency and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And I think this is a story that we don't tell nearly enough. Um, so the big thing is we are, um, we're very close to, to finally passing a building energy performance standard. And we will be the first city in the, in the Midwest. And there are just a few other municipalities around the country that have done something as um, forward thinking as, as what we're doing. Uh, we've been benchmarking our large buildings, 50,000 square feet or larger for the last couple of years. And we have about 80% compliance, which is fabulous. So that includes school buildings, city buildings, multifamily, commercial buildings, um, all of them are, are required to report their energy and, and water usage. And what we're looking at now is how can we increase the efficiency of, the, of those buildings? So we're, um, the, the board bill that's out there, the Building Energy Performance Standard Bill, would create a, um, a board that will come up with different um, energy standards. So based on your building type, what sort of standard you would have to achieve in terms of reducing your, your energy usage. And you'd have four years to reach that. And this board would be composed of experts who could work with building owners to figure out what their pathway is. So, you know, whether that's, um, you know, depending on what their industry is, what their sector is, how old their building is, everybody's gonna need to come up with, you know, a different toolkit. So I think it's really exciting. 
um, that St. Louis is really looking at this. 70% of our greenhouse gas emissions come from buildings. And so the fact that we are tackling this in such a significant way is really incredible. And this came out of a grant that the city received. We're part of the American Cities Climate Challenge. And through that, we got technical assistance and we're working with national partners uh, to craft this legislation and to, to, uh, to move this forward. So it's, it's really exciting. It's gonna make a big difference for St. Louis. And I think when we think about how do we make our our old Midwestern city here attractive and appealing, it's gonna be because we're ready for climate change. We're right here at the confluence of the two greatest rivers in the country. So we've got the most fresh water. Um, and then we've got, we've got all this old building stock um, and we are actively figuring out how to make it energy efficient and, and how to move St. Louis forward. So I think it's really exciting. And if I remember correctly, you were saying that this new soccer stadium, which is the big construction project that everyone is talking about, was going to be pushing the limits of some of this green building technology. Obviously, it hasn't been constructed yet, but what were some of the things you worked to put in there to make sure that that happened? Well, one of the things that all new construction um, is going to have to comply with is the newest, the 2018 is the, the newest international building code. And St. Louis adopted that, um, I think it was last year now. Um, and the county just now just implemented it as well, but but we'd already done that. And so that means all new construction is going to have to be held to a higher standard than, than what's in the past. So that will include the stadium. But the stadium, um, those folks are looking at all sorts of things in terms of how they can, um, you know, capture rainwater. They're going to be actually storing a lot of um, runoff rainwater for the city of St. Louis, which is going to be really great, um, reducing energy usage as well. Um, there's going to be green space there. They're looking at down to, um, you know, what sort of food they're supplying, what happens with those containers, um, looking at even the exhaust from the concessionaires from all of those kitchens, making sure that that exhaust is not being, you know, pumped back inside where, you know, uh, visitors are, are walking around and congregating. Um, the parking situation, making bike parking available. Um, you know, we've been really pushing them to get solar panels wherever they can um, put solar panels. Um, I wish I had the list in front of me, but there are, I mean, it's a, it's a huge list and they are like really, the other, actually the other big thing they're looking at is the building materials that they are working with. They are really looking to limit the amount of raw material that goes into that building. And so that requires some creativity in terms of engineering and design. And, and this is really kind of the new wave of, of building efficiency. All right. For all of our podcasts and stories, you can head to our website, stlpublicradio.org. You can find me on Twitter at Lipman, two P's, two N's. Jason, where are you on that site? At Jay Rosenbaum. And uh, Heather Navarro, where can people find you on Twitter, Facebook, other places on the World Wide Web? So I've got a website, heathernavarro.com, and also at Heather N, STL on Twitter, and then I'm on Facebook uh, with my full name. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Until next time, so long. This used to be my playground. This used to be my childhood dream. This used to be the place I ran to. Whenever